Get ready for another informative, educational, and inspirational story on one of the hottest podcasts in the world. Forget what your clock says and get comfortable. It's time for another edition of It's Primetime Somewhere with your host, J.D. Williams. Now let's meet today's guest. Well, welcome everybody to another edition of It Is Primetime Somewhere. And I am not even going to attempt to pronounce the last name of my guest today. Blame that on a 64-year-old man who cannot remember anything, including his own last name, for more than 30 seconds. All I can do is introduce him as Stephen. And Stephen, I'm going to let you introduce yourself properly. And then, at the same time, I am going to ask you to tell us about you and just who in the world you are. Go ahead. <laughs> well, thanks, J.D., and thanks for having me on the show. My name is Stephen Iowano, and I am a writer based out of Buffalo, New York. Um, I've been writing for a long time, you know, over 30 years, but I've only started writing well for maybe the last seven or eight. Um, today, we're here to talk about my book, Yesteryear, and coming out in October. And it's my third book that's come out. So I'm very excited about that and very excited to be on the show today. Oh, great. Well, you know, I'm excited to talk to you about it because I know a little bit about the book. And it just happens to deal with a, uh, a program that as a kid, I watched as I, I, I mean, I probably knew it by heart as many times as I saw each and every episode. It was just great. And as I told you in the very brief time that we had before uh, we got going. I don't even know that it would survive cancel culture today. I really don't. But it is good, wholesome stuff that I highly recommend. And again, the, na- the name of his book is Yesteryear. And I'm going to really quick uh, put this uh, up on screen there where everybody can see it and get an idea. And then uh, also, Stephen, I want you to let us know right off the top where this book can be purchase and then we'll get into talking about it um sure it's available for pre-order now um either at amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com or better yet go to your indie bookstore and they can pre-order it for you um it'll be published october 3rd of this year um and you can get it through my my website that's going to come up on the screen later on today absolutely and uh i'm going to warn my audience as i warned you because i feel it coming on i've got a cough coming so I'm going to mute myself here and just tell us a little bit about the book while I get myself situated. Yeah. And, you know, people ask me, where did I get the idea for, for writing a book about the story of how the, the Lone Ranger got created? And honestly, I, I can't remember exactly when I first learned about Franz Stryker and who wrote Ranger. Somebody at a party or at a bar or I read it somewhere. Somehow I found out that Franz Stryker, the man who wrote The Lone Ranger and The Green Hornet and Sergeant Preston, the Yukon, for that matter, uh, was from Buffalo. And I, I didn't believe that person. I said, how could that be? I, I live in Buffalo. I'm a Buffalo-based writer. I, should, I would know if The Lone Ranger's creator lived in Buffalo. So I did a little research, and not only was he from Buffalo, but he lived in my neighborhood. Um, I live in a lived in a part of town called the Elmwood Villa, and he went to Lafayette High School, which is just a few blocks from my house. He lived over on Granger Place. He was a neighborhood guy, and I didn't know of him. And I asked around just casually, and no one really recognized the name Drake. I couldn't 
because he had such an impact on 20th century pop culture. And I did a little research, and I found out um, that one of the reasons that, well, probably the primary reason, was that in 1934, about a year after the, a little over a year after the Lone Ranger premiered, he sold the rights to the Lone Ranger to the owner of WXYZ in Detroit, a man named George W. Trendle, for $10. And soon after, in the 40s, Trendle began claiming in articles and in interviews that it was he, not Franz Stryker, who created the Lone Ranger. And everyone knows you tell a lie and repeat it often enough, it becomes part, it becomes accepted as the truth. Right. And even up until his death in 1971 or 72, uh, maintained the creator of the Lone Ranger. And I think that's why no one really knows of Franz Stryker outside of old timers in the radio business. Um, and I was so intrigued the story um, that I decided to write a novel about it. Wow. Well, as I said, I used to watch that show religiously. And um, now all of this background information that you're giving me is completely brand new to me. I know nothing about that whatsoever. I, I, I assume I'm pretty much like everybody else. You know, you, you see the credits roll on something, but who pays attention to it? I mean, really, honestly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. writers, producers, editors, maybe, but, uh, you know, general public, nah. <laughs> yeah. Rarely. So even the last re even the last reboot of The Lone Ranger, the movie with Johnny Depp, that now, if you do watch the credits at the end, it's a uh, characters created by George W. Trendle still. Oh, um, okay. And that movie, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't out that long ago. Um uh. When, when was that out? Do you remember? Man. Do you remember when that last movie a, came in? It was in the, the 90s, I think. I'm not okay. exactly sure about okay. that. Okay, okay. Um, but that was the last one. Okay. It was now, interesting. I mean, the, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask you, are any of the characters from the original still alive? And I'm just asking because I honestly don't have any clue. But um, are any of them still living? From the TV series, Clayton Moore passed away, as did uh, Jay Silverheels. So right. um, they were, of course, the Lone Ranger and Tonto. Right. Um, and I think they, I think they passed away within a year of each other. Wow. Um, okay. So, yeah. Well, again, it was a great show. Uh, you know, it was wonderful entertainment. But now, what caused you to decide to write about it in the first place? Yeah, I think just the fact that he was a Buffalo guy. And he, you know, he was a big-hearted guy, and he never got the attention or the financial rewards that really he deserved. Um, the and his son, Franz Stryker Jr., said in in his biography of his dad, it, depending on how you look at that ten-dollar deal, it was either the best deal in entertainment history or the worst deal in entertainment history, depending on your perspective. Um, but Fran wasn't a dumb man. He did it for good, honorable reasons. You know, this is the Depression. So we're talking 1930 when the Lone Ranger premiered. So this is the 90th anniversary of the Lone Ranger's birth, if you will, on radio. Right. Um, and at Stryker at that time, he was married. Uh, he had two small children. The Depression was raging. And he in addition to his small family, he was supporting about a dozen other extended family members who had lost everything in the Depression. They were dependent on his income from writing radio script. Um, 
Trendle knew this. Um, he Trendle was a very astute businessman and thought that the Lone Ranger was going to turn into something special. And so he offered Stryker a, a job, a contract to come to Detroit, leave Buffalo, become a full-time exclusive writer for WXYZ, and he'd have job security depression where he has extended family. The condition was he had rights for $10. Yeah, $10. Uh, $10 so, to sell the rights to this. Unbelievable. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And so Stryker, you know, he was torn. I mean, he had never had a national radio hit at this point in his career. He had written probably a two dozen radio for EBR in Buffalo, New York. Some of them last four episodes. Some of them last, you know, 20 or more. But he had no guarantee the Ranger was going to become a cultural phenomenon. Um, he took the deal. He took it. And probably the best explanation that I can find is that in the 30s, after the Ranger took off, continued to work for Trendle, um, he decided to form or suggested that they form a kids club for the young viewers. And Stryker wrote a creed, Lone Ranger Creed. Um, and it was tenets of how the young people, the kids of America should lead their life after modeled it after the Lone Ranger. And one of those tenets is do what's best for the greater number. And I think that explains why he did it. He did it to support his family. Um, and he did it for the right reasons. And of course, it turned out that, and, and Trendle honored their agreement. He had a job all through the Depression. In fact, Stryker continued to work for WXYZ and for George Trendle. In Trendle sold the rights to the Lone Ranger in 1954 for over three million dollars, which mm. was a record sale at that time in the entertainment wow. industry. So his ten dollar investment turned out pretty well, and yeah. Stryker and his family never saw any of that money. Uh, that that's the sad part. But at least he did have at least he did have work during the depression, which is a lot more than a lot of other people did. I can tell you that. Yeah, um, and that's the way he looked at it. Now, um, the information that I was provided with, of course, tells me that um, this happened, of course, during the Great Depression, and that he needed to write the pilot, um, but he had to overcome, first of all, writer's block? You'll have to explain that one a little bit. Yeah, so this this is historical fiction. I didn't write a biography. It's, it's a novel, okay. um, and this is where the, the fiction part comes in, because I don't think Fran Stryker ever had writer's block a minute <laughs> in his life. Okay. He was a prolific writer. Um, to give you some idea of how much he wrote, um, he had two writing spaces, two writing areas, once, one in his house and one in his mother-in-law's house. And when his family and neighbors got so annoyed at him pounding on his Remington 16 typewriter at one house, he would move down the street to pound on the typewriter at the other <laughs> house. He was constantly writing because he had to support all these people. Um, so that part was just fiction and part of the, the conflict that I put into the novel itself. Okay, and how about the gypsy curse that follows that up? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, again, again, when I tried, when I thought, when I decided I was going to write about the Lone Ranger, I, I knew I wanted to write it based in Buffalo, so it would be the period between the time Trendle to ask come up with the Western series, 
time it premiered on radio on WEBR in Buffalo in January of 1933. Um, I knew it, so that was my timeline. And I wanted it to make it kind of like um, the book The Natural by Malamud or Shoeless Joe by W.P. Kinsella with some magical re So it was a little bit of myth-making I took on about how this man was going to create which became a, a mythic figure of the well-known ranger. So, yeah, there is a gypsy curse. You know, how, why else would someone sell the Lone Ranger for $10 unless he was cursed? <laughs> um, but, but, but she had my imagination. But in the novel itself, um, I brought in real-life characters who lived in Buffalo at that time in the, in the early 1930s. Um, Jimmy Slattery, who was the former lightweight heavyweight champion of the world, um, he was champion for like 134 days, so he wasn't a long-reigning right. champion, but he was one of Buffalo's favorite sons from South Buffalo, and he, in the book, he is um, one, of Slat uh, one of Stryker's good friends. Um, John L. Barrett was actually a radio actor um, who was part of the WEBR radio acting troupe. So remember, these are the early days of radio, a lot different than what, what you know today, J.D., right? I mean, they had full orchestras. They had their own actors and actresses. Right. Right. It was live on the air. It was the first one who ever played the Lone Ranger because it did premiere. The pilot did premiere in Buffalo as a test run before it moved. To, um, so he's there. He's in the book, obviously. Um, there's a, a mob of a mob. Steve Stefan Magdiano, who uh, was a real-life mafia uh, guy who was in western New York, and he's in the book. Mm. And I even have a cameo appearance by FDR who shows up. Um, yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to jump on that real quick about the FDR thing, because the information that I have it uh, contained in the book is a plot to assassinate FDR, the only president that ever served, what? Three terms, or was it four? Three, four, four three, terms. Three, three and terms, was, and and didn't he didn't make it all the way through the fourth? But he was he was elected four times. No, so yeah, oh, go ahead. Correct, yeah. So, um, and again, this is this was so long ago. You know, we're used to having our presidents elected in November and sworn in in January. But right. in 1933, it wasn't until I think it was March or April where FDR was sworn in. So he was still president elect during the time of my novel. Um, so my idea was, I want, Stryker was known for writing his action series, The Lone Ranger, The Green Hornet, Sergeant Preston. Uh, um, my idea was, let me write a action novel with some magical realism, with some historic, based on historic fact, with a little bit of noir thrown in, mm -hmm. and make it an action two buddies having an adventure and the the action the adventure is part of it is to stop a assassination attempt when fdr comes to buffalo so wow. there's a lot of moving parts to this novel you know he's trying to come up trying to overcome writer's block he's trying to come up with a hero for this radio pilot so he has a deadline pressure and he's got to keep fdr alive 
So it was a fun <laughs> book to, to, to research. It was a fun book to write. And I'm hoping it's a fun book for the readers to, to, to read and enjoy. Yeah. Well, it, it sounds like it for sure. Um, tell us a little bit about the research that went into this, because this, this didn't just all fall in your lap and you didn't write it uh, right off the top without any without any no, research involved. So uh, uh, detail that a little bit, if you would. Yeah, and I started just like you. I didn't know who Fran Stryker was. I started a clean slate. I didn't recognize the name or anything. Um, so, you know, I were, I was very lucky. Um, Stryker passed away in 1962. He was killed in a car crash, unfortunately. I'm still a young man. Uh, I wasn't even 60 years old yet. Um, his family's still in Western New York, and they donated all his papers to the University of Buffalo. So manuscripts, letters, Lone Ranger memorabilia. There's like 24 cartons at the University of Buffalo in their, their private collections. So I was able to go and sift through all that material, including like the original Lone Ranger script, which, you know, I had to put white gloves on and hold it. Um, so I had all that, that, that primary source information and then there's so much been written about the lone ranger um from the early radio days to uh the tv shows to the marketing that took place there's just articles and books on it that i was some of us able to find um a lot of articles i got from the the public library here in buffalo and I did research until I felt full. And I, that's the right. best way I can describe it. I don't even know how long it took me to do the research. But I, I stopped when I felt I have enough to get going. Um, probably the best book or the most helpful book was, and I had mentioned this earlier, um, and Jr. wrote, and I think it was self-published, to be honest with you, a book called um, His Typewriter Grew Spurs. And it was his account of his father and his father's legacy. And it was out of print, and I tracked it down, I think it was in a bookstore in, in Texas someplace. And I was able to get it. Um, and that provided a lot of insight into the thoughts of his dad um, and reference letters and diary notes. Um, that was especially helpful. And it really gave an insight into Stryker's mind because he was a very ethical man, uh, really very strong morals, and he never he never complained uh, about the the raw deal he got. Um, he never confronted Trendle about the lie he was telling that he was the creator of the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger, when people would ask in private, Stryker would shrug. Uh, the people in the radio business, they know the truth. They know mm -hmm. I wrote it. And then if he was ever asked in an interview or in public, he would shrug and say, only God creates, which was a kind of a nice way to um, sort of say, yes, Pete and, you know, Trendle didn't create it either. Only God creates. So that book by Fran Jr. was was very, very helpful to me. Well, um, you you mentioned that he never really said anything about it, you know, whether or not uh, or took credit what was there some kind of um, mm -hmm. an agreement written agreement in place maybe that that prevented him from from being totally honest about mm -hmm. it in public or do you know no there wasn't a, there wasn't a non-disclosure act i think it was just you know striker just him always said it okay. was a 
It was a legal deal. It was okay. a legal binding contract. They honored the in the 40s. Um, and I guess Trendle, his nickname was the miser of Motown because he was very cheap, <laughs> uh, very much a penny pitcher, had two sets of books. You know, during the Depression, he'd show his employees, he'd go, look, we're, we're losing money. I can't pay you anymore. Yeah. If you don't take a pay cut, I have to let you go. He'd show the same set of books to someone who's going to you know, hire and I can't pay you very much. Um, and, of course, he was making a lot of money. Um, after the Depression, Stryker went to him and asked for a raise because he hadn't had one since 1934 and um by the ranger had been on the air on radio for about eight years and trendle fired him he, he, he said you know wow. we don't need you anymore we have the model we have the characters in place we have the f secret formula um and let him go and the quality of the writing dropped off so dramatically that the sponsors of not only the other shows that um, striker was writing complained to Trendle and said, mm -hmm. come back. So Trendle hired him back, uh, plus the raise. Um, <laughs> and Stryker worked for him until he sold the, the rights for television. And then Stryker said, you know, that's it. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go out back to Buffalo. Um, and he did. And he was teaching creative writing at the University of Buffalo. He was teaching writing at um, the YMCA. He was focusing more on young adult novels mm -hmm. um and unfortunately like i said he was killed in a chance to write his autobiography or his memoir and tell the, the ranger story well now um obviously that one the lone ranger was a huge success for him and i didn't realize uh, that there was two different writers involved or probably more than that between the radio show and the TV show, um, but did did this guy Stryker was this his biggie? Was this his big uh, uh, big adventure or, or big creation, or did he have something else afterwards yeah. that rivaled it? Well, he, he also wrote the Green Hornet, and I okay. found out that's that the pretty Green big Hornet, too. Yeah, um, yeah, the Green Hornet is actually a descendant of the Lone Ranger. I can't oh, remember really? if it was his grandfather or great grandfather. Yeah, they're the Reed family. Okay. Um, so they're it's like a, you know, heroes within the family. So I think the Lone Ranger was certainly the biggest, um, most successful thing that Stryker wrote in of um, in terms of money making. But the Green Horn, you know, is not far behind either. Yeah. Well, that was um, a big one between. Yeah. And uh, and just. Um, those two alone. I mean, no matter no everything else he wrote. Just if he just stopped at those two, um, that would have been a huge legacy to leave behind. But those are the two that he's primarily known for, and I think uh, most proud of. I think the Ranger very near and dear to Stryker's heart. Uh, he felt a, a really keen uh, responsibility to that character that he created, um, and Stryker developed. A, a kids club like i said and he and he developed free this ethics this code of honor that kids should follow to be like the ranger and from family friends and from fran striker jr book seems like those that creed was really an extension of of striker's own beliefs yeah. um and they're very very patriotic uh, very christian um but also very educational like 
Ranger used grammar um, because he didn't want the kids to have poor grammar. They want he right. wanted the, the ranger to be really up on that pedestal. The ranger could never be depicted drinking or smoking. Um, and if he was in a saloon, it should be represented as a cafe and should be serving food instead of mm. um, instead of uh, alcohol. Um, and so now if you look back and say, well, that must have been a saloon, right? But Stryker was very conscious and felt a real responsibility to keep the ranger a pure American hero. And I think maybe that's why it's lasted nine decades. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, did he have any influence? In, I mean, you said that he didn't really take part in the TV part, right? Yeah, um, at that point, uh, he retired back to Buffalo, and I don't think he did much writing. He did, like I say, leave behind guidelines for the writers okay. um, that included things like, you know, you know, don't have them smoke or drink, right. you know, what have you. Only sh never shoot to kill, only to disarm, and only if you have to. Yeah. Um, so he left, like, how the ranger should be portrayed if he wasn't writing the scripts. Yeah. Well, the reason I asked that question is I wondered if he had any influence over who was selected to um, to play those parts in the TV show, or was he just completely out of that? It's just only only the book. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was by that time he had he had written you know all the radio scripts or, or, or was this head writer for all the radio shows. He would write when the loan of the supermarket he those out of a supermarket opening or a, a, a boy scout meeting um so he had done all that but after 1954 um i think he, he was he was ready to move on and, yeah. and explore okay explore explore other writing um projects okay and the, the uh, green hornet came after that right so that would have been one of those projects that came after it uh, the Green Hoarder came. He was still around. Green Hoarder premiered on radio, so he was still okay. working for Trendle at WXYZ when the the Green Hornet made its premiere. Okay. Uh, and again, wildly successful um, and lasting icon today. And so, you know, I would not be surprised if you pick up a magazine or or Variety and you see that there's going to be a new movie or a new Netflix series about the Green yeah. Hornet or the Lone Ranger because it just seems these are enduring characters that get rebooted, you know, every every so often to reintroduce reintroduce them to a new generation. Yeah, I kind of expect that because um, yep. you know, I see all these shows that I grew up with. Um, I won't mention any of them by name, but a bunch of shows that I grew up with, I'm seeing reboots. I'm seeing, you know, a new, yeah. a new edition of it. As some of them are coming out like now, and um, yeah. as the as popular as the Lone Ranger was, I would assume that that would hit it if they can get away with it. Because again, uh, the way the cancel culture is right now, um, and the way people are so easily offended, I'm not sure that an Indian character. Um, could be portrayed in the way that it appeared to be portrayed in the uh, TV show that I watched. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong on that. Anyway, uh, we're going to continue this discussion, and I'll let you pick up on that point um, in the uh, second half of the podcast. We're going to break away here for uh, just a couple of minutes, and uh, we will be back with the second half of It's Primetime Somewhere. 
and I hope you guys are enjoying it. We sure are. And we'll be back right after the break again with the second half of, well, I, I like I like our little I like our little show. Anyway, we'll be back in just a minute. Attention podcasters, influencers, media personalities, content creators, and aspiring or existing radio personalities. KRRB Revelation Radio now offers the opportunity to broadcast or syndicate both new or existing shows to all 50 states and more than 160 countries around the world. And if you currently operate a radio station, we offer you the opportunity to add several popular shows in virtually every genre for broadcast on your station. Choose programming from 30 minutes to two hours with each internationally syndicated show adding quality content sure to grow your listening audience. We even have excellent optional services to help you promote your show or station. These services are not only designed for audio use on the radio, but also include tools for use on social media, even YouTube. For more information, visit www.revelationradio.net or email the Ustreamit LLC broadcast network at office at ustreamit.net today. And welcome back, everybody, to the second half of It's Primetime Somewhere. And again, Stephen, I'm going to let you pronounce your last name because I can't, but I'm going to remind everybody that my name is J.D. Williams, and my guest today is, and you're up. Uh, Stephen, Stephen E. Ohio. I, I, you know, I, I wish I could, I wish I was smart enough to be able to pronounce people's names. I really do, but I, I'm, I'm I, just not. I, I, I'm <laughs> I, I thought you'd be braver. I thought you'd be braver in the second half of the show. Give it a, give it a I, try. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a coward when it comes to last names. I've mutilated enough of them in my, in my time, so you know I, I try to stay away from that. But um, anyway, where were we when we broke away there? I know that you were going to reply to something I said, and I don't even remember what I did. Again, I'm 64 years old. Go ahead, you 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 speak. You know what you're doing. I don't. You were, you were talking about you weren't sure if there would be a a reboot of the Lone Ranger and depict um, the relationship between right, the Ranger right, like it was right. in the in the fifties. Um, maybe not, but there's enough source material. I mean, the original Stryker wrote the original um, story that the Lone Ranger was a survivor um, of a massacre. He was the lone survivor of other Texas Rangers who were killed by the evil outlaw um, uh, Burt Cavendish and his Hole in the Wall gang. Yeah, I remember that. And Tano was his, was the person who found the Lone Ranger and nursed them back to health. And they were um, best friends, uh, not only partners, but they were best the whole sense of the, the, of the, of, of the term. And I think if, if people went back to that original striker's vision for that relationship, I, I think that it certainly could be rebooted to, um, if yeah. that was the, the, the spirit of the relationship. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I think that they could pull it off. I'm just saying I don't think mm-hmm. they could run it the way that they did uh, back when it was back when it was original. Sure. You know, they'd have to they, yeah. they'd have to kind of get in in line with current culture and i'm not sure if that would i'm not sure if that would play the same or not you know i mean reboots don't seem to normally you know, do I, as well as the originals anyway but you know 
That's just me. Well, you know, the Johnny Depp movie that we talked about in the first half of the show, I mean, it, it did not do well. It bombed yeah. at the box office. Yeah. Um, and I think kind of from the Lone Ranger formula that Stryker had laid out, um, I think one went did a true reboot that was true to Stryker's vision. Um, as this person who is out righting wrongs and sticking up for the little guy uh, and fighting crime with his best friend, yeah, I think that would take hold. Yeah. And I think that was one of the reasons why it was so successful in the 1930s during the Depression, because people were losing their homes, they were being right. foreclosed, they were losing their jobs. And then here came this figure on a white horse who was righting wrongs, taking care of the little guy who was being mistreated and, and into something in the culture of the 1930s. Because uh, people were suffering through no fault of their own, and they were blaming you know, Wall Street and big banks, and they were the ones who were suffering. And here was a hero that was trying to save them. And I think that's why they, the, the Ranger became so popular then. And I think, I think if it was written correct way i think it could be as successful today yeah well the the show actually gave hope and i think that you you kind of expressed yeah. that that uh it gave hope to people during a very hopeless period of time the the depression was no joke uh people um really struggled and uh they needed that hope they needed something to latch on to and take their mind off of everything that was going on and and that that series, that show really did that, didn't it? It did. If you think about it, if there wasn't that depression, or if Stryker didn't have so many extended family members that he had to support, um, would he have sold the rights to the Lone Ranger? Um, would it have taken off? Because Trendle had the business acumen, and he, they finally got a sponsor after almost a year. Um, not financial backing to take the Lone Ranger nationally. Um, it may have been doubtful that Stryker could have pulled that off at a little radio station in Buffalo called WEBR. Mm -hmm. So the depression was huge to the Lone Ranger um, popularity as well as the backstory of its creation, I think. Yeah. Well, now, you know, we talked about the fact that he sold this for only $10. And yeah. I'm wondering if if there was more to the story of why it only sold for ten dollars, I mean, um, in other words, did the guy that paid the ten bucks was he wondering whether or not this thing had a real future to it, or did he think ten dollars was a major risk? I mean, just ten bucks. No, because Stryker was selling part of what he was doing, um, and this is how Trendle and, and Stryker crossed paths originally taking old radio scripts that he had um, written and had premiered on WEBR here in Buffalo. And we're taking them and selling them to other radio stations across the country for between 2 and $6 an episode. Mm, um, okay. And just for money, because he held he owned all the rights to his work up until the Ranger. Um, and Trendle, by the time he asked Stryker to write a Western series was buying, I think, three or four episodes a week from Stryker at around between two and four dollars an episode. So Trendle knew that ten dollars for an entire 
series was pretty pretty low if yeah. he was paying almost half that much for just a single episode yeah. um and when he made that offer in the spring of 1934 it was just taking off they had gotten a national sponsor three or four months ago and more and more radio stations across the country were tapping into wxyz's broadcast out of detroit to um broadcast the ranger series it was in syndication if you will um moved originally it was on the tuesday thursday saturday slot it was eventually moved to friday because that was more of a prime time and then eventually after it really took off it was on thursday nights at, at eight o'clock so it was a prime time show um but when striker signed that deal they were taking off mm-hmm. so I think I knew it was special. I don't think anyone knew it was going to be something that's endured 90 year, years. Right. But he had all this family he had to take care of. And this was the only way he could see where he could possibly pull that off. And I think Trendle took advantage of that. Yeah. Well, $10 was, uh, was a heck of an investment for sure. Um uh, yeah, I mean, that uh, was for the rights. Think about yeah. all the spinoff, the toys, the giveaway yeah. items, the comic books, oh, yeah. the books that, the novels that Stryker wrote. Um, first radio characters that really became a marketing machine, generating all these other income streams in. You know, there's Little Earl from Annie uh, and, and uh, later on Roy Rogers, but the Lone Ranger was one of the first who was really bringing in money from these, these spin-off um, merchandise. Yeah. So how long did it take you to, to write the book from the time that you decided to do it until the time that you submitted your manuscript? I think, I think from the time I, I first started research until the time that uh, the books have come out this October. So it's about four and a half, five years. Yeah. Um, during that time, though, you know, I had my, my first novel, Rook, came out. Um, that's about a Buffalo bank robber, another historical fiction piece. COVID happened, so that kind of delayed publication thing, right. slowed mm-hmm. everything down. Um, but yeah, it was about four and a half, five years um, mm-hmm. that I've I've lived with the, the Ranger. Um and like I said, it was a fun book to read about and a fun book to write about. Uh, and I think I, I, I think people are going to find it's a, it's a fun book to read. Yeah. Well, it sounds like that you did a lot of research on it, which is good. You know, I've, I have um, I've interviewed a lot of authors, and um, you'll be surprised. Some of them um, three months from beginning of concept, writing, submission, three months. Um, to yeah, me, that's yeah, a little quick. <laughs> yeah, to me, that's just a little fast. But you know, I, I mean, I'm not saying their books aren't any good. I don't know. Um, sure. But um, it seems like you know, if you, the more time you put into it, unless you're just stuck, you know, the more time that you put into right. it, and obviously, the, the the better the the finished product is going to be. Let's talk a little bit just well, for a minute. I know that I know we we really want to focus on on yesteryear, but you have put. Uh, you have written other books, and I kind of like to know your background on that, and um, uh, sure. the, what what you've done, and uh, where people can find those those books as well. Yeah, the first book that came out was called Muscle Cars, and okay. it's a collection of seventeen short stories, 
And I say it's 17 stories about guys making bad decisions. <laughs> uh, Semi-autobiographical. Um, that came out about seven years ago, and it's published by um, SFWP, the same press that's publishing yesteryear. And that was at one of the literary award winners from SFWP, and that was my first book. Uh, that's available everywhere. That You can buy books. You can order it. You can go to my website or SFWP. Um, last year, my first novel came out, and it's called Rook. And that's based on the true story of a man named Elm Nussbaum. And it's um, set in the early 1960s, and a true story. Um, by all accounts, Al was this upstanding citizen. Mary had their first child. He had a couple small businesses he was running, um, including, he claims, the first Mexican restaurant in Buffalo. <laughs> and he would tell his wife that he was going to go out of town for business. Um, but Al's business was was robbing banks. Oh, and he robbed about yeah. <laughs> surprise, honey. <laughs> he robbed about a, he robbed about a five or six before his wife or J. Edgar Hoover knew who he was and what he was up to. Okay, and things went bad. Um, December of uh, I guess it was sixty one or sixty two. He was robbing a bank in Brooklyn, and his partner. Uh, been shot and killed a bank guard and wounded a New York State, a New York City police officer. That shot Al and Bobby to the top of the FBI's most wanted list. And you're called Al the most cunning fugitive alive because not only couldn't they catch him, he kept robbing banks. Oh. Um, and Al was a chess player. He loved to he loved to strategize. And he robbing banks was like chess for cash money. For, for cash prizes. Um, he loved the challenge of it. He loved fooling the police. Um, and the only reason he got caught is because he came back to Buffalo, uh, his wife and baby, and they were going to run away to South America and his mother-in-law off the FBI that he was in town. Um, so he was to uh, 14 years in prison. Um, and he served half of that. But while in prison, he became a writer. So he was writing for, if anyone remembers, Scholastic Book. Um, oh, yeah. That I grew up oh, with. Oh, yeah. yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. I've been writing some of those. Um, he, wrote, uh, he wrote for Ellery Queen and Alfred Hitchcock Magazine, so a Penny mm. Award guy. And then once he was paroled in 1976, um, I guess I got that wrong. He was, was sentenced to 30 years. He served half of that. When he got paroled in 76, he went out to L.A. and became involved in uh, the industry and writing scripts out there. But on the way, he had to stop in Vegas because he had buried a suitcase full of money in the desert. <laughs> and when he got out to Nevada, that's great. They had, you know, fourteen years. Fourteen years had gone by. They had built like a strip mall where he had buried, buried oh. the money. So, so either some construction guy went home with an American tourister full of cash, yeah. or it's still sitting under all the concrete yeah. by Elden. Uh, Buried deep. Eating cash. Yeah. 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 And right. so yesteryear coming out in October is my third my third book, my second novel. Third book and second novel. And um, again, people can purchase those just about anywhere. But um, I know you have a website, and I want you to be able to, yeah. um, to let people know about that, as well as how to contact you, which I assume is through that website as well. I'll, I'll leave it up to you. Yeah, and you can see on the, the screen, it's my... It's SG and then my last name, um, all lowercase, all one word, uh, dot com. 
And if you go out there, you can see uh, where to order my books, where to pre-order yesteryear. Um, there's a contact page where you can reach out to me. I, I love hearing from readers. Uh, you can do that. There's some excerpts out there, interviews, a bunch of stuff about me and, and my books. So sgeowanu.com. Awesome. And yes, that is on screen for everybody to see. I encourage you to go out and get it. Um, now, you've written three books. And I, I love I love hitting authors with this. It's it's my unexpected moment there because I love everybody's got Uh-oh. a perfect everybody's got a great response to this question. Okay, it's okay. just it's just like uh, I have five kids. Okay, and somebody will ask me which one's your favorite. Uh. Uh, so you got three books. Which one's your favorite? Man, that's a that's a tough call because you know muscle, you know the muscle car is the firstborn. You got the Rook is the the middle child. It was my first novel, um, and now yesteryear is just so much fun. Um, it's it's tough to put, pick. Um, so on any given if, on any given Sunday, as they say in football, uh, which one's my favorite? I'm I'm gonna ta- I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the pressure off of you. You know that's always an unfair thing to ask because you know they they all they were all your they were all your favorite when you wrote them right. Every that's single true. every single yeah. one of them, just like the, when you have a newborn kid, that newborn child is always your favorite until yeah. uh, until they do something stupid, and then you go back to somebody else. <laughs> anyway, okay, an, uh, an, go ahead. I knew though from the first twenty pages of the very first draft of yesteryear that was different. Okay. Um, it's written in a different style um, than the first two books. The first two were very taught um kind of crime novels very spare language and i think i must have felt kind of constrained by that after two books back to back and so i I said earlier in the first part of the show that i was thinking about the natural and shoeless joe right and i wanted to write something that really was very you know much more lush in terms of language um much more magical and so because those two influences were baseball books, I had this mantra going that I would say to myself, swing for the fences mm-hmm. while you're writing this book. Swing yeah. for the fences. And what I meant by that is like no sentence could be too long or winding or flourishing. You know, no joke could be too broad. Um, no joke could be broad. Um, I was just going to swing for the fences. And my uh, editor at SFWP um, I'm sure I, I took years off his life um, as we edited that last year <laughs> because there was no restraint on my part. Um, but uh, yeah, I did a great job. In well, the end. well, now this is another sort of unfair question, but also one that uh, needs to be asked, and that is you've written three books. It took you, what, four or mm-hmm. five years to write this one. Are you done? Yeah. Or uh, do you have another project in mind oh, that, uh, that you're going to follow this up with? Well, I'm just getting started, man. I'm, you know, life starts at 60. Right? There you go. <laughs> so. There you go. Okay, I love it. I love you it. You know, uh, COVID, you know, was such a terrible time. And so many of my creative friends, writers, visual artists, you know, they couldn't write at all. I mean, the news was just too awful and scary, or they were sick, or friends or family, and they just could not create. I kind of took the opposite 
um, I was alone in a big house with a little one-eyed dog, and <laughs> I was tired of watching the news. Um, there was nothing good on Netflix, so I decided I was going to write something to entertain me. And we, we read to escape. I, I wrote to escape. So I, I tell people that I have a pandemic now, even though it has nothing to do with the pandemic. Um, it, it's set in the 40s, Buffalo, New York. It's about an alcohol private detective with a little one-eyed dog. Um, and he wakes up on the floor of his hotel room and he checks his gun and two bullets have been fired from his gun and he doesn't know, doesn't remember anything about what oh, happened. Okay. And so he needs, he needs to piece together the five days of an alcoholic blackout and um, try to find the, the woman who's missing that was last seen with him, piece together his, his days and his life. So that book only took me a couple years. I, I call it the pandemic novel because I started it right at lockdown and I finished it almost you know two years later. And that book is called After Pearl, place after Pearl Harbor. Um, and that's going to be probably 25 by SFWP. So wow. we're going through the uh, edits on that one now. Yeah. And I yeah. think that might be a series. I think we might see... Um, up at least a couple more novels so oh, okay All stay right. tuned uh, so, and, and you've never done a series before right ever ever book spins been front <laughs> no, to- uh, funny story yeah funny funny story um so when i wrote this 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 detective novel after pearl i, I showed it to my friend carla damp wonderful novel called the orchid tattoo um she's a, a prime writer and she read a question she asked was um is this a series? And I said, no, no, it's just a standalone. I just wrote it during the, the lockdown. And then I showed it to my writer friend, Ashley Warlick, who, um, a phenomenal writer. Her last novel was The Arrangement. And the first question she asked me, well, is this a series? And I said, no, 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 it's a standalone. I just wrote it during the pandemic. <laughs> I, showed it to, I showed it to my publisher at SFWP. He said, is this a series? Because I think Netflix would get it. And I said, yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but I had no idea what this will be. So I, I got some work to do, but I got some ideas. Well, and they, they teed you up. That's good. Um, yeah. Now, uh, I don't know. I, I do not know much about publishing. I'm, obviously, I'm not, an, I'm not an author. I'm a radio guy sometimes. Um, anyway... Um, how difficult is it for somebody to get a book published? I, I assume that's rough. And um, can you tell me a little bit about your publisher? Yeah, it, it is rough. Um, it's hard. And I, I was never able to get an agent. And it helps to the way, especially to some of the, the bigger presses that are out there. The way I broke in was a long shot. Um, I was, you know... Uh, a slush pile guy. I did. I had no representation for anything, so I would just submit stuff on my own, throw it over the transom, and hope somebody read it and liked it. So what I did, I guess this is going back to 2013 or so. Um, SFWP is a, a, a independent press, um, internationally distributed, good reputation, and they, they were handling their annual literary awards, and the prize prizes was you get a book published if you're selected mm. um and so that year the uh david uh moral who, who wrote the the rambo series 
um, and he picked uh, muscle cars as one of the winners. Wow. And so that came out in 20, and that really opened the doors. Um, that really got my foot in the door. And uh, as I said, yesteryear and after Pearl will, will be published by the same press, uh, you know, starting in October with yesteryear, then two years later with, with Pearl. Okay. But yeah, you're right. It's tough. It's tough out there. A lot of competition, a lot of good books being written, a lot of books being published, you know, and so it's tough to, to, to get break in. And then um, the work's not over at that point. Now you have to market the book. Right. Um, now right. you have to, yeah, that, that's, that's maybe the hardest part. Um, uh, but getting better. I'm getting better. So, so do uh, um, publishers, I mean, you, like you said, you got your foot in the door. You got published because you had a book that they really liked. Okay. Um, yeah. And so I assume, maybe I'm wrong and you can correct me, but I assume it's a little bit easier the second time around because you've got a relationship with a publisher and, and that type of thing. But do they come to you or do you say, I'm ready to do another one? Or do they, or do they say, hey, how about another one? How does that work? Yeah, um, I think it, it's the publisher, especially if you're if you're a success for them. They're they're going to be asking periodical. What are you working on? What do you work? Okay. Do you have any pages for me to see yet? Um, you know, I was able to uh, come up with Pearl pretty after Pearl pretty quickly, uh, and I had no idea if anyone would like this book that I wrote pretty much just for myself during the the pandemic. Um, and like, like I said, um, Andrew Gifford, Gifford, the founder of SFWP, uh, one of the first questions he asked was, is, is this going to be a series? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we kind of have a verbal agreement that there will be more Nicholas Bishop stories coming down the pike. So. Yeah, it seems it seems like you got going. yeah, it seems like you got your future laid out pretty much right there. All right, now we've only got a couple of minutes left in the podcast, and I want to give you an opportunity to hammer home anything that you want to of course tell us once again the name of the book where it can be found and of course your website address and how to contact you but anything that i have sure. not uh, that i have left out or haven't asked about or something that you just want people to know you got a couple of minutes you it's all up to you now well i appreciate that and i appreciate appreciate you having me on today um you know yesteryear is coming out october 3rd but you can pre-order it now and pre-orders are really a huge benefit to the author because that's going to generate buzz within the industry and more bookstores will will carry the book if they see if you have strong pre-order numbers um it gets the attention of the amazons of the world so they promote the book more um it really helps so even though you might not get the book for several months if you could pre-order it you know i, I would i would really be appreciative of that you can do that through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, my publisher, SFWP.com, or my website, um, SGEWANU.com. And there you'll find links where you can order not only Yesteryear, but Muscle Cars and Rook as well. So, um, and like I said, if you, once you get it and read it, I'd love for you to come back to my website and leave a note and let me know what you think. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The more reviews... The more positive five stars that you can get, it's better uh, all the way around. Yeah. 
Again, I do strongly encourage people to go out and get a copy of this thing because anytime that, that an author really puts as much time and effort into something as Stephen has obviously done with this book, again, the title is Yesteryear. It is going to be available in October of 2023. Uh, Stephen, I really appreciate you uh, being on the podcast today. It's primetime somewhere. I wish you nothing but great success. I'm looking forward to grabbing a copy of the book and, of course, looking at uh, the series when it comes out. Now that you've been forced <laughs> into writing a series now, for the first time, yeah, right? I, I'm, I'm on public record now. so There I you are. Yeah, yes, you are. Okay. Well, I really do appreciate you being on today, and I wish you nothing but the, the very best and the greatest of success. And thank you so much for being on uh, It's Primetime Somewhere. Oh, thank you so much, J.D. God bless.